Welcome, you meddling kids, to a very special episode of the Mystery Machine Diaries. Yay! If uh, you didn't recognize that intro music from producer Daniel, that uh, indicates this is indeed a very special episode. That's the very special episode music, very specifically. It's, uh, it's what they used to play in the late 70s and mid and early 80s when uh, there's going to be a Halloween special or a Christmas special. So I'm told. It, look it up on YouTube. <laughs> They're all far too young to know that. Uh, oh, okay. It was pretty groovy, though. I liked it. We've heard it about six times at this point. Uh, I am your ghost host, Brad, joined as ever, linked for eternity with a pup named... (laughs) It's me, Chris. My name's just Chris, Chris, but it's me. Hi, guys. And, uh, of course, our meddling producer, Daniel, behind the keyboards, wearing his lovely Mystery Machine t-shirt that we got from our last episode. He looks very cute in it. Um, maybe we'll post a picture on uh, the books of face and the grams of Insta to show you how handsome he is. Uh, <laughs> and how handsome you could be, too, if you pick up some Scooby swag. Wow. Like I mean, that. I assume our listeners are, are quite good looking as it is, but anyone's and look could be improved taste. by a Scooby-Doo shirt. It's true. Yeah. It's true. And an ascot. We sh- oh, we should have ascots made. Uh, write that down, Daniel. Uh, but... Back to in the van for, like I said, a very special episode of the Mystery Machine Diaries. This is normally where we talk over Scooby News and things like that, but there's no more important Scooby News than the fact that we get to talk to legendary animated producer, director, writer, storyboard artist, Victor Cook. He is a man who is uh, central in creating Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, the show, which, of course, this podcast is dedicated to. Uh, We were lucky enough to have some of his time, and we got to ask him some amazing questions. He had some great stories, and uh, we're going to cut to that in a moment. We're seriously super lucky to be able to talk to him. Like, If you're a fan of animation from basically the 70s onward, you're familiar with his projects and what he's done. He's done... Uh, it sounds like he's done everything in the biz that you can do from um, storyboarding all the way up to production and directing and everything in between. So, uh, yeah, it gets, it's a, a delightful interview. and We had a great time talking to him. Really nice guy. Um, so lucky to get him on the podcast yeah, for absolutely. being such a new podcast. He was very generous and uh, very enthusiastic. Uh, we hope you enjoy. You will definitely learn things you did not know. And... Um, We'll be back at the end to give you a little more info. So enjoy a trip down memory lane in the Mystery Machine van with Victor Cook. All right, meddling kids, before we get into this interview, we both want to say spoiler, spoiler alerts. There are some things coming up. Uh, Mr. Cook uh, gives us some in-depth details about episodes that we haven't covered yet, so uh, cover your ears or come back again after you've watched all those 52 episodes. But uh, spoiler alert ahead. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mystery Machine Diaries podcast dedicated to the TV series Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. We are very excited 
to have a very special guest with us today. It is going to be director, producer, storyboard artist uh, extraordinaire, Victor Cook. Hello, Victor. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you. Uh, pleasure. Uh, we are, cannot tell you how excited we are to have you on our little podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. But uh, as, uh, as you probably know, we, uh, we cover Mystery Incorporated, uh, a series you worked on for many, many episodes uh, featuring our good friend Scooby-Doo. And uh, before we uh, get into the realm of uh, Crystal Cove, we just wanted to go back in time with you because your uh, your credits are very, very, very long. So I I, <laughs> I encourage everyone to check out your IMDb page because it's uh, pretty impressive. You've worked on a lot of shows that we're both big fans of and have been for quite some time. So it's uh, a, a real pleasure to have yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty old guy, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. You'd, uh, you, you are seasoned, my friend. Seasoned. Uh, thank you, thank you. You don't age just like Scooby-Doo. But um, okay. if we go back, the first credit that catches my eye uh, is the animated series of ALF. I was a fan oh, of... Oh, yeah, ALF. <laughs> I was a huge fan of the show and the cartoon. I thought the cartoon was amazing uh, because uh, it really did delve into a lot of backstory for ALF. And you were a storyboard artist on that, correct? That was my first uh, storyboard job. That was my second job in animation. Wow. Was working on Alf and then Alf Tales. Uh, before that, I was in the, yeah. Before that, I was an assistant animator at a studio called Filmation. Oh, Filmation! Probably, oh. Yeah, they're probably famously known for He Man, he -Man. and, and Flash uh, Gordon uh, or, oh. and Shira. And uh, one of the last shows they did there was a show called Brave Star, which I don't think anyone remembers. Oh, we remember. Yeah, we remember Brave Star. I, I saw I, the I, movie in the oh, theater. Yeah, so that, so yeah, that was my first job. I was there for a couple years, and then uh, that was the last uh, studio to do all the production in the United States. Wow. TV, Hanna-Barbera, and Ruby Spears, and some of those studios had already, it seemed like a decade earlier, had started sending um, animation out of the country and keeping only what we call a pre-production, which is storyboards, art direction design, that would still be done in Burbank. Uh, but layout and animation was had been started to be sent out um, in the late 70s and early 80s. And Filmation was like the last holdout to not do that. So I was kind of lucky to get that experience there. And then, yeah, Alf and Alpha was just my first uh, storyboard job. Now, for our listeners, what does a storyboard artist do? Storyboard artists do, in the most simplest basic terms, is you are visualizing the script. You are, you're basically like a second unit director. You're like a, you're like a director. You are uh, staging it. You are deciding when to go to a close up. You are controlling how the characters are posing and acting. Uh, if it's a chase sequence, you are designing that. If it's a gag sequence, you're designing that. So yeah, you're reading it and visualizing it. And, uh, uh, another way to think of it is, is, is if you're a person who cannot draw, for instance, <laughs> the way I would describe storyboarding is uh, I will hand you a camcorder and say, you read a page out of this paperback book. Now, film with this camcorder what you just read. How would you film that? Ah, okay. And that's okay. what a storyboard artist does. In other words, are you going to, are you going to, if it's a, if it's a story of somebody coming in, to the door to do harm to you, 
it, are you just filming it like you're like you're just filming a door wide and watching AI walk up to it and open the door and walk in, or are you filming just his feet walking and then close-ups of his eyes and then you cut just to the doorknob and seeing it slowly turn? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're making, you're making all those decisions. That's what a storyboard artist does. Okay. So, and he has he has draw draw it all. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just a rough visual outline. You're also roughly blocking the characters, choosing shots, um, getting pacing and timing down. Yeah, you're doing all that in black and white. So you're not fully uh, visualizing everything in color and exactly what the characters or the backgrounds or those things are going to look like. That's somebody else. But you are staging the story. You are visually telling the story. Now, that that's... that. That is so awesome, and you've, like I said, your credits just are like a phone book of some of the coolest cartoons of the 80s and 90s and today. Uh, I sound like a a radio show host for an oldie station. Um, But uh, my co-host and uh, my producer, I know, are huge fans of Darkwing Duck. Can you you comment on uh, your work on that show? Yeah, well... A lot of times people say, "What are your favorite shows you've ever worked on?" And and there's so many great ones. But if I, if you were to like sort of like narrow it down to say, "What are your favorite shows that you storyboarded on?" Darkwing Duck would definitely be one of them. And, and I would say Gargoyles would be oh. the other one. Those, uh, both of those make Dark me very Duck. happy. <laughs> Our producer Daniel's grabbing yeah, his they're, head. And they're, and they're very different, you know. Yes. Uh, Darkwing. Uh, uh, part of it was that. It was my second uh, project at Disney TV Animation. I had started there on Tellspin oh. as a board artist. Darkwing was my second uh, <laughs> show there. And it just had everything that I would love. Because I grew up on comics. I right. grew up in the Silver Age of comic books. Mm. I loved love. uh, Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah, and yeah. this sort of combined a lot of that uh, together with that Disney heart of a, of a dad raising his daughter <laughs> kind of had it all. It, and, yeah. uh, and I love the rogues gallery of the villains and you got to be funny with it. It, it was a blast. And plus I was, you know, young and uh, made a lot of friends there at the time. And, um, and uh, besides storyboarding on the show, I uh, wrote a script. I don't know if you guys know that. I wrote one script yes. called called Kung Fu, and uh, the origin of me writing that actually starts uh, when I was on Telespin. The producer of Telespin kind of gave a pep talk to the crew uh, about how everyone should kind of learn what the other person does, just right. so you have a better idea of the process. So character designers learn what a writer does, and background painters learn what the production person does. And so I... I don't know how seriously everybody else took it, but I was brand new, so I took it to heart, and I signed up for a UCLA extension class in animation <laughs> writing. With, you without dove right the in. Intention, yeah, but but not with the intention to make to try to be a writer. Right? Right. I wanted to be uh, storyboard artist, but it was more just to learn about that. And in the course of that, uh, you have to write a spec script, mm-hmm. and I decided to write one on Darkwing Duck since that was the next show, and that's kind of how uh, it led to me actually selling a script for Darkwing Duck. And then, um, and then uh, I got to say about a year into it, when the script got produced, the producer of the show, the creator of the show, Ted Stones, 
Um, I mean, we know and talk now, but I think he was uh, in, impressed that I did it. Maybe not so much that it was really good or not. I have no idea, but I think he just right. liked the idea that, hey, a sport, storyboard artist actually took it upon himself to write a script and sell it and, and yeah, get it you done. Listened. And, you listened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he had liked my board, and so he, he said to me, hey, you know, that combination of your storyboard ability with this, uh, having a sense of story of writing the script, you know, that's kind of what we're looking for in directors. And, and he kind of like, it was because of him that I think I started getting on the radar of, of getting a chance to direct. And it didn't happen immediately, but a few years later, I did get a chance to direct. Right. And I think it's because I wrote that script. It you put the work in, and uh, how does it how does it feel now to see the renaissance of all those uh, Disney afternoon characters, especially Darkwing Duck? Uh, it's great. I love what those guys are doing on DuckTales. Uh, I love the uh, art and design of it, the storytelling. I think it's fantastic. I know I know Tad is really thrilled, the creator of Darkwing. He's a big supporter of it, and I, you know I'm sort of like it's about time. You know, you look at other characters throughout the year. Scooby Doo that we we're talking about Scooby Doo and that's a classic character that gets uh, sort of rebooted and re fifty years old. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it, but it didn't go thirty years before a reboot, right? right? It's like almost every three to five years there's a new version. So I'm glad they're finally doing that with DuckTales and Darkwing, and and uh, I think it's awesome. It is it is really fun for me. Personally, seeing all these characters from my childhood coming back around and the, and the different iterations, um, I'm I'm very excited for the Darkwing reboot. I've been really enjoying Ducktales, so definitely looking forward to that. Now, Great. also, uh, Chris over here is a as a young Justice fan, as we all are, and uh, uh, yeah. So I I um, doing a little bit of research, heard that the character of Artemis, who's one of my personal favorites on the show, is actually uh, at least somewhat based on your daughter. I was wondering if that was true, if you could elaborate on that. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I heard about that. You know, I, I worked with, I met Greg Wiseman, who is uh, one of the lead producers and head writer of mm, Young Justice. Right. We met back, back at Disney, probably like in 1990, worked with him in various shows over the years and we uh and we were producing partners on the spectacular spider-man and then after that we both went to warner brothers and on different shows i had mr incorporated and they were making Young justice uh-huh. and uh he never mentioned that to me the whole time we were there and i think i read about it on the internet later that i asked him hey, I, I read that thing they say you, you based the look of this character uh, on my daughter, he said, "Yeah, that's true. That's and, so awesome." Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know what it is? It's like Artemis is uh, uh, Eurasian. She's mixed, right? Uh, uh-huh. Asian and Caucasian. And um, I think as they were designing her, I think you know I wasn't there, but I think it was just I'm just trying to come up with um, what she could look like and what could be distinctive. And I think it kind of maybe came up the blonde hair and. Um, and maybe people were wondering, well, how accurate is that? And he was like, well, just remembering my kid. Uh-huh. Who That's is, awesome. You know, mixed, and she has blue eyes and blonde hair. So it's like, it was like, sort of like, hey, we have an example of that. And that, and that um, character came and out of nowhere. Kid, my, 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 yeah, my other Young Justice connection is I did actually direct one episode of it called uh, Cold Hearted. It was uh, All the Freeze People. Season one. <laughs> 
Yeah, I did it between we had a little we had a little uh, after season one of Mister Incorporated and before we got the green light to do season two. Mm-hmm. There's a little gap there that I uh, Brandon uh, Vietti and Greg Wiseman invited me to kind of come in and be a guest director for one episode of Young Justice. Very cool. I'm gonna have to that go back and rewatch cool. that one. Yeah, I've uh, yeah. I've loved going back and watching it on the DC Universe app. The all the remastered episodes as well as the new ones, of course. But uh, Artemis, of course, became a huge fan favorite. So that's uh, that, that, that's got to be pretty awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, she, I, I think she was kind of amused by it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I would be. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, be uh, I'd be telling everyone if that were, <laughs> if that were me. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to make the jumps from storyboard artist to director. Now, how does one do that? How does one make that? That seems like a, you're describing it not a huge leap, but it, it's a pretty pretty big difference. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. I kind of gave you uh, part of how it happened for me. I wrote that script and it made an impression on my boss at the time. Uh, And, um, and uh, so uh, the executives and other producers and directors uh, uh, would hear, I would be, I would be suggested for this. And so I I got an opportunity at Disney to direct. Um, I would say to be a TV animation director, mostly I think you need to have a really solid foundation in storyboarding. Sure, um, sure. For for what I had said earlier, um, and uh, how and when it happens, it varies. You know, I've heard some people getting what they call battlefield promotions, where <laughs> you're on a That's show awesome. and it has directors on it, and then that director gets promoted to be a producer on that show or another show, which creates an opening for a director. And, uh, and they'll usually promote, you know, who a really good storyboard artist from the crew to fill those shoots to direct. Um, and that's kind of, that's sort of like how it happens, you know, it's like, uh, you do good work as a director, you know, really solid creative work as a director, easy to work with, get your stuff in when they need it and, um, and work well and collaboratively with, uh, various people, uh, you'll get a chance but you know but you still have to do a really good job at the storyboarding um, right and uh the main difference is uh in directing your scope of what you are directing has widened the storyboard artist it's it's staging and acting and everything and just in black and white right right and directing now you are now uh part of working with uh, the sound of it the music the color, the art direction, the animation, you're communicating with the animators. Um, uh, it's the whole, it's almost the whole package. You know, uh, when it becomes the whole package in TV is when the director is also a producer, because then you have a say in the casting and what music composers you're going to hire. And you're sort of there determining, uh, well, what is the show even going to look like? You know, what's the design style of it? Uh-huh. Um, so each, each stage, you just get to do more and more. So that sounds like a lot of a lot of work, actually. Uh. <laughs> a lot of fun. And, and then I say the other big thing is you're multitasking. You know, right. so when you're storyboarding, your job is it's just that section of the script they gave you for that four to six weeks you're storyboarding. It's just that, um, and then you don't get another assignment until you're done with that, and then you do it again. Then you don't get another assignment until you're done with that. When you're directing a TV show, most productions, you direct an episode, 
And then when the storyboard finishes is when you start directing the next episode, but they're still not finished directing the first one. So there's overlap. Right. You're working on the animatic and the timing of the first episode while you've now already started the second episode. So there's overlap. You got to multitask. And then when you get into being a supervising director or a producer, then the multitasking spreads out more because now you're also working with the art director and the designers and going to recordings and right. working the with whole, the writers. The whole big yeah. picture. Yeah, it sounds like a yeah. lot yeah. to juggle. So it's like it's like this, uh, just this multiple assembly lines of uh, stuff that you have to uh, be on top of. Now, now, how did you? How exactly did you get involved in uh, the Scooby Universe? The Scooby Universe. I had finished uh, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Which was an awesome, awesome great show. Experience. Great show, and um, and I was looking to see what would be next. So part of it is you're just looking for just a job, but you're hoping sure. it's going to be a cool project, a cool job. And um, uh, and I had heard that Warner Brothers was developing this new Scooby show. I didn't know what the premise was or what it was about, but I knew they were going to need two episode directors, and they. Were, had hired one and they were looking for a second one. So I went in and to meet about it. And the guy, the supervising producer I met, his name is Tony Cervoni. He uh, developed Mr. Incorporated along with uh, head writer Mitch Watson. And, um, and uh, you know, you have to give a real, your real samples of what you do. And, mm-hmm. and I noticed Tony, when I went in, was kind of clicking on a lot of scenes of uh, of a of an animated project I did called Hellboy Animated. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and um and and he was talking about, yeah, that's you know, we really want the scary stuff to be really scary. We really want it to be really cinematic. It was like I was like sort of catching on that we weren't really going to do this like the original Scooby in the sense of like that same that same hallway the same picture <laughs> over and over again. Going by, yeah. we weren't we weren't going to have characters running in the air for three seconds before running off. <laughs> you know, we weren't going to. It was still going to have humor. You know, you know character and personality humor. Obviously, that that was going to stay, but uh, visually, it was going to be more cinematic. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, when, and then he, he pitched me uh, uh, the tone and the storyline. I'm like, wow, I am all in for this. This sounds fantastic. <laughs> I can definitely now and, you said uh, the Hellboy thing. I can definitely see the 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 cinematic relationship and the animated styles and the the painted backdrops and things. Yeah, well, I mean, I got to say that you know that that he was looking at those samples as he thought that was going to fit somewhat the vision of what he had for Mister Incorporated because he 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 independently, you know, before I got there he had this vision for the show and. Um, uh, and it was amazing. And most of the crew had been assembled by the time I got there. And I'm looking around this crew, and you know, two things struck me. One, the level of the artists that were hired, the bar was like so high. It was right. amazing. You know, he had art director Dan Crawl, who was art director on Samurai Jack and all these shows Ooh. at Cartoon Network. Lead character designer Derek Wyatt, who had uh, done the character designs for uh all these different projects including the transformers you know uh the the other director they hired was kurt gata who was known for directing all these various 
Superman, Batman, Justice League, and Batman Beyond. It was just like this powerhouse. But you'll notice by what I just said, the other thing I noticed is like that it was like an eclectic crew. You know what I mean? In other words, Kurt, the director, had this really solid superhero um, resume, whereas Dan Crawls was always kind of very designy cartoon network, not as realistic as the DC superhero universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was all being put together for them. It seems like a mashup uh, of uh, all the different uh, styles. Yeah, it, 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 it was like, hey, let's have this fantastic art direction but with the cinematic storytelling and put it together and that's what happened and that's Tony's idea and it, it, it turned out great and really fun to be a part of it now when this was all coming together did you think this was a risky thing or were you like yeah this is gonna work this is just gonna land uh I was just excited to do it you know uh you know that that worry stuff usually happens before something gets greenlit but by the time I got hired they had greenlit the show right right? so they're gonna make it we're gonna make at least 26 episodes of these i i guess maybe in the back of my mind i wondered how involved uh with the network notes might be as we made it you know because maybe they didn't quite realize how dark it was going to be you know sure Uh, what they were gonna get (laughs) but uh uh but you know they they greenlit it so they knew that it was going to be dark. Maybe they just didn't know how dark. But I, I really wasn't worried, you know. Uh, we just kind of forged ahead and and made the show. Well, it, it sounds exciting. like they pulled a pretty stellar team together um, in, in addition to you, of course. Um, so that's got to help with, uh, you know, being confident going into the project that's really going to take off. Yeah. You know, uh, great leadership with the producers, Tony and Tony, and also Mitch Watson, the head writer. Uh you know, he assembled a great uh, crew of writers also. And, um, you know, and for Kurt and I directing, it was just like, wow, you know, if you love horror movies and we did, it was like, we're going to get to do this every episode, <laughs> you know? And uh, the idea that these monsters were going to, you know, at first be people with rubber masks like you would expect from a Scooby and eventually, no, they're not people with rubber masks. They're real monsters. Right. They're real evil. You know, it, uh, it it definitely toes the line of both Scooby camps. And uh, when I first saw, I remember when I first came on, I was blown away from the first episode. I'm like, this, this is the Scooby Doo I've always, I've always loved Scooby Doo, but this was like, this was the iteration. This put my love of all the the horror genres together, and you know, Saturday mornings, and it really, really, it really worked really, really well. Yeah, and also the sort of the backstory and the history, kind of the lore they built into it with, you know, the backstory of all these other mystery solvers through the generations. You know, the other, these four kids through the aunt and their pet animal, whichever animal it may be. Right. You know, that backstory. And also the, the, they, the added, uh, character development they gave our main cast. Exactly. You know, uh, was re- really made it interesting. Uh, to work on. So you're working on it. You know, know, of course, I'm a producer and a director of the show, so I know the the arc, but it was still fun to get those complete episodes as they finished them, the scripts, I mean, uh, and get excited about that monster and that storyline and see it unfold as we uh, were directing it. 
I can't even imagine reading the scripts and going, we're, we're, we're doing this. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's where we're going. Awesome. Yes. Fantastic. And, and, and that's, I'd say where I started having that, that, well, we're really doing this. When you asked me about where it was more towards the end. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. yeah. Sure. When I go, wow, we, we are really doing this. <laughs> is it, yeah. It, it yeah, really, it got, it got really, really mature, kind of mature and dark. It really did. <laughs> but all right, now, other than Scooby, who is your favorite character on the show of Mystery Incorporated? Uh, of the main cast, I would say Fred. You know? Sure. And, um, I think it's, you know, not just because he was the leader of the traps, but, I, but you know, the, the, the backstory uh that he had in this episode of you know the whole first season you know he thought the mayor was his dad right and then he finds out that was a complete lie and then he finds out who his real parents are and then by the end of the second season or before that they're the bad guy yeah fred i mean fred 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 starts out being portrayed as smart and clueless and emotionally unstable so he's a teenager and this is the time we've seen him first time in a show that fred is not you know mr perfect and he does he goes on this crazy emotional journey throughout the 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 50 some odd episodes of the show as a director is that hard to reconcile in a cartoon that's a lot of emotional depth to go through no you want that as a director i mean like i said all all this stuff is what made it interesting if if we were gonna just do scooby from 1970 uh that would be fun and kind of do those tropes and that same background padding by, you know, those kind of things that uh-huh. be like a fun to do in a kind of a parody sort of way. But this, uh, the character development of all the characters and the overall story arc is what made it interesting. So it made it, you know, Fred's journey is part of what made it like fun to work on as a director. You know, it, uh, the, the, the stuff they put it through, you know, uh, shows there's a lot more to Fred than what you see in the surface of that he acts clueless. You know, there's a lot of depth to Fred. And uh, my favorite's always been Daphne. Daphne's always my favorite. And she she comes into her own in this series in a way that I wouldn't have expected. She is the hardest gig on the show, I think, because we're living in a post-Buffy the Vampire Slayer world, and she's a modern teenage monster hunter who has to be the damsel in distress but also pull herself out of danger. And that, that, that seems like a tough line to toe for 50-somewhat episodes. Yeah, but you know, there's more to her to the, to, than just that, too. She really is brave. You know, she's brave. And, you know, you think about someone of her background. She comes from a very wealthy, wealthy family. And there's not a snobby vein bone in It's true. That's a good Daphne. point. She, she's just a really good-hearted person and she's brave and she has the backs of all her team members so uh i think she was uh you know i mean the balancing act of doing the show and you know and giving depth to these characters is to not really change them you know it was kind of keep who they are at their at the core but just give them some depth right you know and i think i think uh they all they all got that it's great 
Yeah, I mean, the, these characters get more character development in just the first five episodes than in the previous 40 years of <laughs> Scooby-Doo yeah. in any iteration, um, which I which I just love. Um, and, and especially with Daphne, uh, her dedication really uh, stood out to me as a character. I mean, she's often recentering the group to focus on what's important, like let's get back to the mystery. Uh, she's going off and pursuing leads on her own, and she really doesn't have to be doing any of this. Um, but it, it, I kind of read her as um, almost a, the driving force of the team more than Fred in a way. Um, she's happy to let Fred take the lead, but she's kind of the, uh, the, the, the power in the background that's really driving the team uh, towards their goals, which I, I think yeah, is, is a know. great read on, on that character. Just I love the way that she's written. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm glad you, uh, you caught that. And uh, I do, I have to admit, I love when she sings Trap of Love with the Hex Girls. <laughs> I think that's that's yeah. a, a great That is a real highlight, moment. yeah. Yeah, even even Shaggy got uh, some backstory in depth. Yeah, you know? Shaggy had parents. Uh, with him, starting off with him dating Velma, you know, and then not wanting, how is he going to break the news to Scooby? <laughs> you know, it's funny, but there's also depth to it. Yeah, and, it's uh, it's very real like that that's such a, a teenage problem this kind of awkward relationship and both parties are figuring it out and who do we tell and stuff I, I i love that that's how we start with those characters but yeah velma definitely uh changes the most or at least comes into her own the most throughout the episodes her arc really uh goes in a unique direction was that ever talked about by cartoon network where they're like uh we're not sure if we want to have Velma go this way. You know, it maybe it could have been, you know, they, they have to submit these scripts uh, uh, up for review with the network. And so uh, I don't know if they got those notes by the time they got to me. I mean, I know that that was the plan when I came on board, that this is how this is going to go and this is what we're planning to do. And I know this is that was what was pitched to the network um, as the scripts get get turned in into various phases that was more uh, Mitch as the story editor tracking that so I don't know how much pushback he got um, but it couldn't have been much because you see what ended up on screen right, right. So yeah. maybe there was a lot of support there and it's just it's just going back and rewatching it it's so subtle her change from going from shaggy to you know to hot dog water you know just really realizing who she is because she comes off kind of angry in the beginning and then you really understand why, which is super crazy for a cartoon. Yeah, and this uh, being able to, you know, Net, Netflix is such a thing now, right? And binge-watching right. is such a thing and these all these series having these, a one long story that continues on and on, you know, um, the original Scooby and cartoons are you know, way back in the day, they were pretty much, it was just that episode. And the very next episode was just a news story with the same character. Right. You know, they didn't, they didn't connect. Uh, but this show, it has an overall story. And so it gave us the opportunity to, you know, take the viewer on that journey of, hey, it's Scooby. It's what you remember. The guys in the rubber mask, it evolved, right? To what we end up with. But also the characters too. You know, you can't really do that kind of character development all in an episode. But when you get to watch it over the course of 26 or uh, 52 episodes, you get to see that growth. And you really, I mean, so, 
it really this, this show really holds up on repeat viewing. It really each time there's different layers that I notice going back and doing the podcast, and uh, it's just I, I even at the time I was like I can't this they're doing this okay, and you're just waiting for the next week. You know, it just it, with bated breath like how how is this going to go? They've all broken up. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Uh, especially between seasons one and two. Oh. Yeah, I'm glad. You know, and we had that same fun feeling as we're working on it. When you're just saying as a viewer, we had that as we were working on. It. And our, our good friend Scooby, we can't leave him out. He Scooby gets number one. He gets an arch villain, which I find incredible, <laughs> and uh, he gets a sense of purpose that he's never really had before. At one point, he charges himself with bringing Mystery Incorporated back together after the huge fallout of all the secrets being revealed. Uh, how did you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but how did it feel, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, loving Scooby-Doo? This is a whole new Scooby-Doo. He's he's not necessarily cowardly. Uh, and by the end, he's, you know, the hero's journey. He's really come full circle. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like I said earlier, I feel to me, these characters are at the core those characters you met in your childhood. Right. I mean, that's really who they are, but with now added depth and backstory. So, uh, Scooby is still scared, but you know, he's, but you know, like any of us can be scared in certain situations, but sometimes you got to reach down and find the courage sometimes. Exactly. Or, you know, you got to have your friends back or your family's back. So you will will be braver in those times than you uh, uh, normally would. Um, so yeah, and as far as his arch villain, yeah, I, I talk about Pericles, right? Yes. Yeah. The evil bird Fantastic Udo Kier villain. as an evil yeah. bird. Yeah. Yeah. That combination of that actor, that character design by Derek Wyatt. Yeah. It was one of the all time great oh, he's, villains. He's perfect and, and kind of terrifying for a cartoon bird. Very terrifying. <laughs> yeah. and, but but and funny, you know, the thing is we yes. talk about how scary and mature and adult the show is, you know, it's still funny. You know, one of the things I remember Tony said as we were starting the show, you know, we're, of course, getting all excited about the cinematic stuff, the scary monsters and the depth and everything we're talking about. But it was like, there was, he gave us this reminder, but let's remember, uh, I think he said it was called the three F's that make the Scooby in that fear Food and flashlights. <laughs> <laughs> I like and that. So we That's always kind of kept that, you know. In That's the show. our new motto. So, like, like at the core of it, it's still a Scooby Doo show, but it's just one with depth. Right. Uh, surprising depth at times, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, we do get a flashback uh, in one of my favorite episodes, uh, The Legend of Alice May with the Creeper. And was there any talk of ever, you know, in, in integrating any other classic villains other than the ones we see, you know, as uh, mannequins? Well, I here's how I'm going to answer this. <laughs> it's it's going to be not an answer. It's okay. Guess, because <laughs> sometimes I get asked questions like this about other shows. Like, what would what would you have done if you had a third season of Spectacular Spider? Would you this? Would you that? Right. And um, and the, the thing is seeing Young Justice come back after five years, right? Yes. It's possible Project could come back. It's not likely, uh, but it's possible. 
That would be so you don't amazing. want to give away anything. You right. don't want to sure. give away anything because you just, it's like spoiling it. Exactly. So, that's, uh, so you answer so, it without answering so, it. I like it. <laughs> so that's my answer. Sorry. That's a great. No, that's well, a great. Well, we'll got our answer after we uh, pressure the studio to bring it back and, and bring <laughs> you back on. Right. Now, we touched on uh, Udo Kier uh, for a second, but the voice work on this show is absolutely just incredible from the bottom up. Top notch. We've got so many amazing voice actors, not only from animation, but also screen actors. Now, uh, in your memory or recollection, do you think was it easy to get them? And was there anyone that you really wanted that you couldn't get? I don't recall there being anyone we wanted we couldn't get. It seemed like everyone <laughs> we asked wanted to do it. Um, and this was true of the, the few DVD Scooby they did outside of Mr. Incorporated. It seems like everybody wants to be in Scooby-Doo and they all want to say that line about meddling kids. (laughs) Who would say that? Who would turn that down? But yeah, it it, it was an amazing cast on the show. One of the, God, for the long time of of all the shows I've worked on, this one just had a lot of a variety of people. You know, of course, the main cast is fantastic as the characters. Um, Udo Kier, as you oh, mentioned, so uh, it was really great that we had um, Harlan Ellison guest in the Shrieking Madness. Oh yes, yes. That that was fantastic, and uh, you know he's at the report and he's wanting to <laughs> rewrite rewrite one of his lines, and you know, <laughs> of classic. course. Uh, and uh, but uh, you know, I was a kid of the '60s. And uh, one of my favorite shows back then, and I'm, you know, being a six, five, six, seven year old kid and seeing it in its first run was Johnny Quest. Oh yes, love love that show. I, I know a lot of people like that show, and they'd seen it, you know, because of repeats, you know. But mm-hmm. I saw it when it first came out, and um, so to have the actor who portrayed Johnny Quest come in and play Fred. Dad Brad, right. real dad Brad, Tim Matheson, it was great. Now, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of geeking out in the room that I, we I would too. Oh, I bet. Of I, course, I would too. Yeah, of course, most of the other people in the, in the room are thinking, hey, it's the guy from Animal House, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's how you know Tim Matheson, but I'm like, no, that's Johnny Quest. And the show, the show yeah. now that you say it, the show does share a lot of similarities with the original Johnny Quest. Uh, very, you know, adult storylines mixed with fun and you know uh kid kid adventures but still serious undertones but uh yeah oh, yeah Johnny Quest, Quest. well i mean yeah back in the 60s back then Johnny Quest was a action kind of drama kind of show and scooby back then was i think it was a comedy you yes know? um definitely uh, i mean our our show i feel like was a comedy horror adventure you know, I mean, we there was still tons of humor. I mean, God, the writing on Mystery Incorporated is just hilarious. Oh yeah, Mitch Watson and his, and his team of writers just did a fantastic job. It was a crack up. Now, do you have a favorite episode of the series? Hmm, I knew you might be asking. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know that I could just pick one. Um, I have a few for sure. different reasons. Um, I like the siren song. 
Ooh, yes. a lot, you know, uh, for Storyland, but I also like Fish Fish Free, you know, that's great. I like um, uh, our season finale, uh, uh, All Fear the Freak. Oh, so much happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so much happens. So much oh. happens in that one, All Fear the Freak. I mean, you know, that's when everything they thought was true was not everything true. Everything gets turned upside down. Apart. It all becomes turned upside down. a new show. <laughs> it's probably worse for Fred than anybody because they all have to go for their separate ways. Um, and uh, uh, it was just fun on so many levels. It was like also, you know, how, how are we going to show a freak? He was a kind of a different kind of a monster right. than some of the other ones that were more sort of super powered or more supernatural. So how are we going to kind of convey him you know, with shadows and sound and color, that kind of thing. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course I like the, I, I, I was lucky enough to, you know, you know, on the show, by the way. So yes, I was a supervising director and producer, but I also directed half the episodes. I don't know if you guys know that. Yes. Definitely. I directed half the episodes. That's not really a usual thing you do if you're, uh, in a role like mine, you're more kind of overseeing, but I, but a hands-on directed half of them, and the other half was uh, directed by Kurt Gaeta. And then we had a couple guest directors come in and do like one or two weeks, like Mike Gogan, uh-huh. uh, who's known as the producer of The Batman, and Lauren Montgomery, who is most recently known uh, for Voltron. She came in and directed the Hex Girls episode. Oh, that's so um, cool. But uh, of the ones I got the hands-on direct, I was lucky enough to do the two Hanna Barbera crossover episode the mystery solvers club that and uh that's my favorite that is my favorite episode is mystery solvers club state finals that is just (laughs) a dream come true Uh, yeah it's uh i would imagine if you're a true (laughs) hanna-barbera Fan. I you mean, get, you get to see your universes come together. And he, I, I still is. have my Jabberjaw lunch pail. So yeah. it's now speaking of that episode, which is just literally a dream. Uh, but uh, was there any character you wanted to fit in there that you couldn't? I think we got them all in there. Nice. They were uh, really everybody we wanted in there. Yeah, you know, I, I have yeah, to say, out of the two Hannah Barbera episodes, I mean, I liked Mystery Solvers Club. I thought it was awesome. But my uh, favorite of the two was actually more Heart of Evil. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I, it's because, you know, like I mentioned before about Johnny Cook, as, as a kid of the 60s, of the, of the Hanna-Barbera stuff, I think I more lean and I was more leaning into uh, and glomming onto Hanna-Barbera's action shows sure. uh, of the day, like the Hercu- Herculoids. I'm surprised they didn't show up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the impossible, you know, those kind of shows. Uh, Frankenstein Jr., Space, Space Ghost. So I think that's why I like Heart uh, of Evil because it had Blue Falcon in it, you know. Oh, and, Blue uh, Falcon, so but really like really Dark Knight cool. Blue Falcon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Dark Knight Blue Falcon. <laughs> and uh, really, really fun. And you also managed to you, you managed to put quite a few people in these shows. The Impossibles do make a guest appearance uh, at the prom. Uh, I noticed that. So I did notice a lot of these 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 these, these, these folks do uh, live in Crystal Cove. Yeah, some of this might be due to our character, our lead character designer, Jared White, though. You know, like some of them, some of them might have to like like I 
what you just said is not ringing a bell to me. It could be because it's been years ago, or it could be uh, that I didn't put him in, but the character designer did. You know, he's having fun. Just sneak him in there. And they were literally blink and you miss it. There's so many, like Pebbles yeah. and Bam Bam and... Oh yeah, I, I love yeah. all the visual references and and visual jokes and puns that are throughout. It really adds a whole other layer to the show. And then just to finish on that question sure. about favorite episodes, kind of, I, I know I didn't name just one, but the one other one that I really liked was that I that I that I got that I loved almost everything Kurt did. By the way, but of the ones I sort of hands on directed, the other one I really liked was uh, Come Undone. Oh yeah, uh, where it all—it <laughs> literally <Yes>. comes <laughs> undone. It literally, yeah. And then I just love how I, at the very end, basically, okay, this is basically uh, where we start the original series. Exactly, they all look at the camera, just like in the opening credits. Yeah, which yeah. was, I could, yeah, that that episode is is pretty heavy, and uh, it's a whole new, literally a whole new universe. Okay, yeah, uh, which. Um, yeah, it would definitely lead into a season three or, you know, direct to DVD as as those those things are very popular these days. You never know. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, you know the, the thing about Young Justice is that it had a lot of fan support. Yes. And uh, the fans were very vocal on social media and letting the powers that be, so to speak, know their love of the show and wanting to see more and. Uh, I think it's how Family Guy first came back way back. That's true. He went off the air and, you know, so, you know, and Star Trek, too, if you, even, if you want to go back even further, that they got canceled after the second season and they got all these letters from fans that that uh, brought it back for a third. That's why we do the podcast. Yeah, we're trying to bang the drum for Mystery Inc. Bring that back. Yeah, so keep it up. Yeah, it yeah. Happen. You never know. <laughs> well, we have at least... 40 some odd more episodes to go so we're, we're, we're trying uh there's an episode escape from mystery manor which was a really intense episode it's 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 an homage to saw and not lots of horror movies i i can't imagine that was easy to direct or produce in any way well you know i i didn't direct that one i was the supervising producer i mean the producer and supervising director of it so for me, it was a joy to work on because <laughs> the, the genius director of that was Kurt Gannon, you know. Um, and uh, and this episode, and like so many of them, it was you could really get into a certain genre of horror film and sort of get to execute that in in the show. And uh, and then you know, combined with the fantastic art direction uh, from Dan Crawl. And the storyboard artist, it, you know, everybody got into it and made it fantastic. So from that perspective, if you're asking me if it was hard for me, <laughs> no, it wasn't because Kurgata directed it and he did a brilliant job of it. Um, and on the note of, of that episode, um, specifically, but also just generally um, in the show, is there anything that you wanted to do uh, that was not allowed? Any a direction you wanted to, to push it in or um, like a specific scene or anything that had to be cut that was maybe uh, too intense or deemed just like a little, a little too far. Hmm. You know, you know, you, you work on these shows, these network shows that are sort of designed to be for seven to 11 year olds, right? Uh -huh. That there are certain S and P things that over the years you, uh, 
sort of learning always trying to push the envelope of right um and find creative ways around it um no the i i can't think any you know maybe other uh of the creative leads in the show may say otherwise but for me there wasn't something i felt like we didn't get to do you know you look at come undone look at come undone Uh (laughs) uh-huh oh my god i'm i'm that i'm I feel like wow, we got this off. I mean, they definitely yeah, let you go pretty that, that far. On, yeah, <laughs> that went on. Yeah, that went went on TV. Like, there was a lot of episodes like that. But no, I don't feel like we. There was something we weren't able to pursue. Uh huh. I'm really happy with the way the series turned out. I would imagine with your experience as well as the rest of the team, you have a pretty good feel for uh, what you can do and how far you can push it without running into too much pushback. Yeah, it's uh, like I said. It, 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 we made fifty-two of these, mm. and they're, they're done, and they're out there, and we're all proud of them. Um, so, as an artist, uh, which do you have a favorite Mystery Inc. villain design um, of of all the villains throughout the series? Uh, well, we talked about Pericles. I really liked him. Okay. Um, I like Char Char Gothicon. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, you know, I, I love the look of the whole show. I mean, what's amazing about the show is, remember how we were talking about the personalities and the core of the characters, mm, how right. it is those original characters, but with more depth. What I love about the, the design of the show, and this is Derek Wyatt who designed the show, um, the character designs, is you look at those character designs, and at first glance, you think they are the design from back in the day right i mean at first glance but if you look at it no it's not exactly the right it's a it's a little bit more angular you know what i mean uh-huh. sure a little more modernized a little more edgy you know but it's still you look at it it's it, it, it instantly those classic characters but modernized um so I, I i love the look of the whole thing it is it is gorgeously done the the design the art direction is one of the things that's struck me the most about the series so far it's just a Oh, Enjoy yeah. to watch even with the sound back. off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The back, the background paintings. Oh my god. Oh yeah. The, um... Yeah. <laughs> the, the, each yeah. background you could frame. You know. Exactly. And, uh, not only as paintings, but you know, as cinematic storytelling. You know, each sequence had its own co- sort of color scheme, depending on the sequence. Yes. Right. It's uh, just the palettes on the show are crazy. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just like when they go, like, just to the. the the background of the Crystal Cove Library that st- is like a like a menacing castle that you might see in Gotham City yeah. with Batman on top of it. Or when they go to Gatorsburg, it's just instantly, you know exactly the the tone of the episode. You know what the whole thing is going to look like. It's so distinctive and detailed. I, I, that one particularly stood out to me. Uh, the background paintings in the swamp, just beautiful. Ma- amazing crew of artists. Now, we've been, we've been keeping you, but... It, I would like to know any any anything you want our listeners to know about the show that we haven't covered. Hmm. See, I I think you pretty much covered it. You know, we had a fantastic cast, fantastic crew. Uh, our voice director was Colette Thunderman, uh, who has directed a lot of different Scoobies over the years, different incarnations. Right. Right. Um, uh, Tony Savoni, who I mentioned, who developed the show and was the supervising producer of the show with Mitch. He is directing the feature oh, that they're Scooby? making right now. Yeah, that's, that's oh great. Him. He's uh, working on that now. 
their so, their office uh, was right behind mine, and I would always peek in the windows. Now, is there something you're working? I know we have the Stretch Armstrong that you're working on currently, or is that is already finished for you? Uh, well, you know, there's no officially. We don't know when Netflix has decided right. about Stretch because it hasn't been officially canceled yet. They haven't ordered more episodes, so I hope they, yeah, logically. You might think, oh, it's done, but you you never know. It's uh-huh. currently on Netflix, uh, and uh, and uh, the new show that I'm working on right now is for Disney Junior. It's called Top, and it's on Disney Junior and Disney Channel. And it's a the animation is incredible. It's a show for uh, little kids, younger kids, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's probably the best animated thing I have uh, ever worked on. It's oh a, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, our, really uh, our, our producer Daniel has uh, a two-year-old, so he's very excited. Oh. oh yeah, definitely. And the toys are out for that too. And uh, he's shaking his head. Yeah, uh, he's really he's really excited to check this out now. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. a great show. Great show. Very cool. I have a I have a young niece who um just going to be getting to cartoon watching age uh, in, in another you know four to six months. So I can't wait to introduce her to everything. Um, She's from a Disney family as well, so mom will be very excited that I have some good uh, Disney programming lined up for my niece to check out. Oh, good, yeah, she'll 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 love that. Trust me. Awesome, glad to hear it. Now, I I can't thank you enough for uh, taking time to talk to us about this project, and uh, it means so much to so many people. And uh, I just I just really wanted to thank you on behalf of uh, my team here and all of our listeners, and. Uh, w- Anytime you want to come back on the show and plug something, we will uh, we will have a, all the time in the world for you. Absolutely. This has been a real pleasure, Mr. Cook. Thank you so much uh, oh, for doing thanks, this with us today. Thanks, oh, thanks for having me on. And uh, just to let you guys know, it's really gratifying to work on something and, and years later that uh, the audience and the fans still like it enough to still want to ask questions about it. So it makes it all worthwhile for all of us who've worked on the show. I'm really Thanks glad to hear that. Yeah, and if we uh, if we think of anything else, we might be shooting you an email here and there. All right, thank all you. Right. Thank you so much, sir. You have a great evening, and we will talk to you soon. And for all you listeners out there, that, of course, was the incredible producer, writer, director, Victor Cook, who is one of the masterminds behind Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Uh, please, please go go check out his IMDb page. If you like the show, check out his other work because uh, he's done some amazing things and uh, we look forward to amazing things in the future. Hopefully you enjoyed that amazing interview with Victor Cook. I know who- I did. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh <laughs> He is being genuine. Uh, he was great in, like I like I said earlier in the podcast, he really gave some insight that uh, we would never would have known about the show and how much love and attention went into the series. Uh, really adding that extra layer to our enjoyment of the series. And uh, I forgot to say there were spoilers in the beginning, but uh, there were spoilers in there for the. <laughs> For the series, we didn't really get too specific, but uh, hopefully, didn't ruin it for yeah, you. Yeah, you may you may have noticed I uh, was a little quiet in the middle of the interview there because we were talking about episodes that I have not seen yet. As the format of the podcast is, uh, you know, kind of reactions as a new viewer. But um, 
you know, certainly didn't spoil the series for me. Still very much looking forward to it. And, and again, a big thank you to Mr. Cook for being so generous with his time. We're ecstatic to have had him on the show. It's true. It's tr- He uh, couldn't have been nicer and more informative. And check him out on his uh, Twitter account. And as I mentioned before... You can find him on Twitter at Victor underscore Cook One. That's a... Uh, V-I-C-T-O-R underscore C-O-O-K and the number one. Wow, good um, memory. Yeah, also type him into Google. Check out his IMDb page. Check out his Wikipedia page. You can see what other projects he's worked on. You can check out the stuff that he's currently working on, like Tots and uh, Stretch Armstrong. Uh, watch ALF. Just type in ALF, <laughs> the animated series, or ALF Tales in YouTube. I I really love that. Character. I'm looking forward to seeing. I haven't seen any of that, so I'm I'm gonna have to go back and check that one out. And uh, these two totally nerded out ta- when he talked about Darkwing. Oh my Duck. god, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin, um, Hellboy, Blood and Iron. Like man, just my my whole childhood. I had no idea this guy was responsible for so much joy. So much. Uh, next week we'll be announcing our winner to our contest which uh was uh, you with your you and scooby-doo together so there's still time to turn in some uh, photos on our facebook page submissions are still open let's see them we've got some really really good ones and we just really want to see you with scooby-doo uh that could, once again any scooby stuffed animal you and scooby pajamas you and a scooby-doo t-shirt that you get at walmart for 7.99 uh whatever it is we want to see it and we, we really want to thank you all for sticking with us on this journey because it's been so fun. And your listening gives us uh, the ability to talk to amazing people like Mr. Cook and, and others we have coming down the pipeline. So continue listening. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Spotty Tunes, uh, wherever those things are available. Anchor FM. Uh, that too. I remembered this time. You did. You did. No firing for you this week. Yes. Hooray. Um, but on behalf of producer Daniel and, uh, the pup named Christopher and myself, your ghost host, Brad, unpleasant dreams and have a happy Halloween.